Don't mind me, just a champion CrossFitter. Where is this guy? He's, he was so busy tanning that he can't get in here. Yeah, he's ZK. It's mostly me just sending you screenshots. Sending screenshots. <laughs> Zach. Kenny. is a naughty boy. Sometimes. Hi, buddies. What's Zach? Thanks for being um, nearly on time. I was at a... I clicked the Google Meet link from the email. I know. I'm sure that makes sense. I was in a room asking oh. to put that in. Shoot, Jason. Jason, you should have said like, "Hey, I'm gonna send you a new link." <laughs> oh, you did say that. It would have been good if I said that. Yeah. Did you say that? Yeah, I did say that. I'll do an introduction, and then do you guys want me to moderate? Do you want to moderate? Okay. What are we gonna talk about? Do you have topics you want to talk about, Zach? Yes, I have a list. Wait. Okay, hold good. On. You got a list. We're good. I'm, I'm ready to rip. I don't... Well, welcome to this very special episode of this thing. We have uh, a return guest with Brad Ellison and then a new guest with Zach Kenny from ZK Painting, ZK Live, Instagram, Facebook, Apple, iTunes podcast, and more. Welcome, you two. Thanks for having us. Uh, I thought we call it, we were calling this Eska non-painter live. Welcome. What was the other word you used? Brevity. Brevity. Uh, no, ir irreverent. Welcome to this irreverent, irreverent talk for the trades. So well, let's just talk about some things that, what is the purpose of this conversation? The purpose of this conversation originally started out seven months ago as an idea of how to professionalize the trades by highlighting examples of professionalism and is through stories and observations that we create a narrative and that narrative can change our perceptions, which change our actions, which can change, which can change an industry that was quickly thrown away. This is now just a time to have fun and express ourselves in our true nature, which is what art is. Art is expressing yourself. And that's what we're going to try and do today. So look forward to these expressions. Well, this has been a great talk, you guys. Yeah, Thanks for it's coming been good. on the show. All right, here I have something we can talk about. Um, a building is on fire. You jump from the window with a chair, mm -hmm. but then right before the chair hits the ground, mm -hmm. okay, you see this before mm -hmm. it hits the ground, you jump up, jump up mm -hmm. from the chair, then you land safely. Okay. What do you guys think about that? It's exactly um, like when I was in an elevator the other day and it was falling and at the very last second I jumped and landed safely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a couple things uh, to factor in. We don't, it's, we have insufficient data. Uh, the first thing is the height of the, uh, the jump. There's so this one, looks like six, one, two, seven three, stories, four, five, six stories. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, so he's actually jumping from the seventh story window. So that's, plenty of space to get you know pretty high velocity uh but what would what else would come into play is the mass of the chair because if the chair is really light and flimsy when when you jump from it you're actually just going to push the chair more quickly away and it might slow your descent a little tiny bit but not enough to really save you so it would have to be a very heavy massive chair so that when you pushed the chair will not accelerate its descent and it will decelerate your descent right? Um, 
the other thing to take into consideration is what is the physical ability of the person that's jumping? If, if it's me and I jump, my legs are not that powerful. I can't jump very high or very fast. So it, it wouldn't do much, but like an NBA player like Zach, if he really jumped, you know, with those massive strong legs, he could create uh, enough energy that it would slow his descent. Um, you know, it's not, it's not foolproof. Of course you have to check my, my math, but uh, those are the factors you would consider. I think your math is pretty far off, my friend. <laughs> okay, actually, all those things, all those things that I said, you need to take into consideration. That's real, though. The mass of the chair, the physical ability of the jumper, the height, the laws of gra- the laws of physics. I don't think that's true because in the elevator situation, you cannot jump right before the elevator lands. The elevator is you can jump up off of it. Well, you so can't, when you're falling, guys, let's just take, let's just think about this for a second. When you're falling, you are experiencing the absence of gravity. You are falling at 9.8 meters per second square. If you're accelerating. You you're not falling. Space, that's not a, hold on. That's not a speed that you fall at. That's a, that's, that's how quick you're accelerating. Fair. Accelerate. That's good. Thank you. Right. For our equation. When you're in outer space, you experience weightlessness. That's the same thing you experience when you're falling from a building. If you're in outer space standing on a chair and you jump yeah. off of that chair, what happens? Well, it depends on which, whether you have more mass or the chair. If, if you and the chair have equal mass, then you will separate at the exact same speed. If the chair is light and flimsy and you are a grown man that weighs 180 pounds, you will, you will start to move this way, but the chair will go much more fast, much more quickly in the opposite direction, right? So it'd be like this. If the chair is heavily massive, or if you think about you're, you're jumping off the outside of a space shuttle, when you push off the space shuttle, is a spa- are you and the space shuttle going to separate at the same speed? What if everybody went to North America and jumped? Mm-hmm. Would that move the Earth out of orbit? No. Why not? Because the mass of the earth is astronomically more than the mass of all the people in the world jumping at one time. Is mass real or is it just an illusion of both space and time? Does anybody understand how gravity actually works? I feel like it's not real. It's like magnets, I think is my understanding. I don't think there's actually anybody in the world that understands how gravity works. All right. My understanding is that we're all made out of metal and so the earth is magnetic. Guys, speaking of magnets, mm. let me zoom in here. Yep, I like this. Okay. This is uh, the yeah. bad guys. America's the good guys. Don't forget that. Yep. We're the good guys, for sure. This is, uh, he's shooting with a gun. Mm-hmm. But little does he, he's very upset because this guy is has a magnet. And the gun, whoop, the magnet pulls the bullet up to him. <laughs> and so now this is. 100% bulletproof. How's the army not thought of this yet? Are, are bullets, like, are they attracted to magnets? I guess it depends on what the bullets are made out of. Copper bullet is not going to be affected. Yeah. I don't know if they're using many copper bullets. Uh, the, the, if, the magnet was, if the magnet was strong enough, this actually could work. The problem is, like, it's got to be strong enough while the bullets traveling at such a fast speed to really divert it right at the last second, because the magnetic field, it, it dissipates so quickly. 
right? The, do you the know pull how... to the magnet is so is is very very tough right All next to the, the magnet. Vector of the bullet it's going to take a lot of it the field looks like a i've seen the fields before they like spiral out or something yeah right and it dissipates quickly what are the um, northern lights how does that work <laughs> do you know the moon hitting gases or something right Bruh. it's uh electrically Gas. it's it's like electrically charged ions that are uh refracted reflecting the light can we even fly through that with spaceships? Hundred yeah, percent. It's not or even real. It's not even there. Destroy our bodies. I feel like. Do you think the moon landing was real? Did you see the shadows, man? The shadows uh, are all wrong. When when thousands of people are involved in something, it's really hard to keep thousands of people to keep a secret. The, the concept that something as big as the moon landing was faked with all the people who were involved with it, mm -hmm. I call bullshit. Okay, here's another thing to think about. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever shot a gun. There's this yes. thing called recoil. Yeah. Brad has this idea of how gravity works where you jump off of a chair and something like that. So I think this is, is relevant to their mm -hmm. status quo per diem. Step one, get a minigun. Step two, aim at the ground. Step three, fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is basically the same principle as like a rocket engine. You expel hot air out of one end and you go, it exerts more, uh, more force than gravity and you go up. Or if you have one of those backpacks with the connected to a jet ski. Mm hmm. Yep. Uh, the, the problem with this is that miniguns, you know, they, they fire rounds. And so um, you'd have to have a crazy amount of rounds lined up and it goes mm -hmm. through them so quickly. They also weigh a lot. And, and they, they also they make... also overheat really quickly. Yeah, they overheat and they they project things that could kill people. A lot of good questions and comments here about heat. Let's look at I, this one. Take a hot bath. Step one, take a bath. <laughs> Step two, increase the temperature by one degree Celsius. Okay. That's even, important. So that's like 17 degree Fahrenheit? Uh, no, it's like 32 <laughs> divided by two plus something. 16. Increase the temperature by one degree per hour. Mm -hmm. Slowly get used to the higher temperatures so you don't notice it anymore. After a few days, you are now able to swim in lava. Mm. So there's some point here where your body simply cannot withstand increased temperatures. So what do you think are the physical limits of the body? Well, do you think it's based off of external realities? Or do you ascribe to the central governor theory? What's the central governor theory? Central governor theory is that we have a, a governor in our mind that limits us to what is safe or not safe, or what we perceive our abilities or exertions to be able to handle. Mm -hmm. And our perception of what we can accomplish and the limits of that is what keeps us in our nice safety nest physically. Uh, this is a pretty big concept uh, in the ultra endurance community. We're like, what, 70% water? And it boils. Hey, up. that you didn't think about that, Brad, did you? 
Great point, Zach. We are 70% water. Yeah. And so water boils at a certain proceed. point. Uh, cells need to be able to do all the things that cells do. I think that the temperature absolutely affects the biology of us. We can't like mentally think our way out of boiling water in our veins. Mm-hmm. But I do agree the central governing theory. So like if central my, governor, if my, governor, governor, not governing. Okay. Governors so, govern. When my, like, say my, wife's, act of say my wife's in the shower and I'm going to shower right after her. She leaves the water on. If I step in, oh my gosh, I'm burning my skin off, right? Because she showers so hot. But if I turn it down to like a, a more comfortable temperature and then while I'm in there, I usually end up probably about the same temperature she's at. So it's that, that shock value. It's so in this, in this uh, example, yeah, you get in and you may be able to get to a higher sustained temperature than you would normally be comfortable with if you were just getting into getting into it hot, but it doesn't change the fact that at some point your body will start to see negative consequences from the water being too hot. This is a perfect opportunity for me to use my, one of my favorite um, phrases, which is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. It's a good point. So while this central governing theory is a beautiful governor, governor theory, theory is great because I think we're, there is a lot of uh, head trash and, and limiting beliefs that humans put on themselves. Uh, but there's also a point where biology and physics reign supreme over mental toughness. So while the governor theory is great, um, it does have limits. So you believe that science is what we should be worshiping? Zach? That is, that's what I said. I said that word for word. You, you, you're repeating me very well. You want to take... Wow, on you, this guy found a baby in bathwater. Why are people throwing babies out anyway? Like, who cares whether it's with the bathwater or not? Let's just not throw so babies the point out. Of this why isn't the saying, why, why can't we just say, don't throw the baby out? The bathwater is dirty. Yes. But it's dirty because of the baby. Yeah. So, so one could keep clean water by throwing the baby out as well. You want to get rid of the dirty water so that the baby can bathe in clean water mm. but the whole point of the water is to clean the baby is this woman like a court jester what's that thing around her neck yes i think she was making the king laugh a minute ago <laughs> watch this joke <laughs> but i do i love i love that saying don't throw the baby out with bath water there are oftentimes pendulums swing too far in in the other direction when things go bad yeah. And oftentimes the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. Yeah. Maybe this is an example. What are your thoughts on equality versus equity? In the first image is assumed that everyone will benefit from the same support. They are being treated equally, equal, equal boxes. Okay. Now it's not fair. This person is taller, so we can see everything very well. This person is not as tall, so we can barely see this person cannot see it all. That is equality. The second one is about equitability. Equitability. In the second image, individuals are given different supports to make it possible for them to have equal access to the game or equal outcomes. They're being treated equitably. What do you think about equality versus equity? From the perspective of a bunch of wasps. Go ahead, Zach. I I like the idea of... <laughs> um, when you try to 
let's say legislate for outcomes or force outcomes, equal outcome, that's a lot harder. Uh, I think the system should be designed for equal for for equity in opportunity. So you don't believe in justice. Brad? Uh, I actually agree with Zach. I believe that we should try our best to give everyone equal opportunities, but not everyone is going to respond to those opportunities equally. And I don't think we can guarantee equal outcomes when you do, it ends up, uh, you, in order to do that, you have to treat people, um, unequally. So you would say this, this guy doesn't need a box to see the game, mm -hmm. but he should get a box. You think that's how we, how we should treat this scenario? Look, look, everybody has a box. It's all equal. This person cannot see it all, obviously, but there's three boxes. They each get one. This is the world that you want to live in. Um, I want to live in a world where the tall dude, Zach gets, he's like, you know what? Jason's a little bit shorter than me and like a lot weaker, probably can't even lift up a box because he has never lifted anything in his life. So I'm going to, I'm going to just grab this box because I'm big and strong and I'm going to put this right here. Mm. And then the, the you want to see, and he's going to say, you know, Brad is shorter. Brad obviously can lift, you know, two or three boxes at one time, but since my arms are longer, I'm just going to move these boxes over for him. So Zach, because he has, uh, uh, you know, he, he's, he's gifted and then he's tall. He provides the boxes for the other two, but it's, it's out of his free will. I'm his. No one's making him. I would just be like, hey, Zach, you're big and strong and handsome. So you, you mind grabbing that, that box? Society should force this outcome if it's no. not occurring, or the only way that it's allowed to occur is based off of the agency of individuals. Mm, yeah, but the, the problem that obviously you can't really force people to. I put a little bit of both. I, I in a perfect world, we would we would tear down the barriers we would we or at least reduce the barriers you want this scenario third, this third one's beautiful right it's taking the the whole thing and, and changing well here's here's the other thing to think about in this image they didn't pay to watch this game none of them did they're they're watching for free i mean there's probably some they laws did. being broken they, here someone's selling them these boxes yeah this is a black market. Zach offer. wants to get rid of the boxes. The problem, Zach, is, you know, how do we make money off of boxes? And is it important to make money off of boxes? Well, if no one's making money off boxes, boxes aren't going to be made. Are they? Are they not? Is the only incentive to make boxes based off the profitability to be able to see over this false barrier? There's a false barrier that we've constructed a society the only way to see over this barrier is to use boxes. This isn't a boxes false. Are this is a barrier. This is a barrier created by the owner of the baseball team because he paid a lot of money for that 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 get, that team. And in order for him to recruit his investment and pay his players, what do you think got to pay to go see all these people? They're all paying for their seats. Uh huh. They're doing just fine. Why? Why'd they pay for the seats? They should just stand outside and look through the fence. It's not very nice. To... It's a suboptimal view. Suboptimal. Well, then why don't we take it a step further? Why, why even have the fence at all? Why don't they just go sit in there for free? Because you need to know where a home run is. <laughs> you just fence... draw a line on the ground. It's very, very interesting conversation. I, I would say there's not a black and white answer to that, right? I think that's the hard part. The hard thing in life is to hold two conflicting ideas in your head at once. And maybe not 
be so idealist about one being the perfect thing. What do you think is more important, the nation or the individual? If you're asking me, I would like to say that I am not more important than the nation. If you ask my wife and my kids, I would hope they would say that I am more important than the nation because I would say, I would feel the same way about them. Should you put the nation's interest above your own? The answer to this question is is often how what divides people politically, right? Yeah. The, people who, the, the Republicans are the nationals. They, they see national first and then the Democrats are more uh, individual first. Generally, I think they've, they've done studies that show that. I think there's extremes on both sides. So there's uh, nationalism, which teeters into fascism, but then there's also communism. And both of those are counter to the individual. Mm -hmm. And fascism or nationalism, the state is above the individual. And communism, the collective community, is above the individual. So both sides of the political spectrum, we think of it as like a 2D model, either left or right, but there's also like a 3D model. Communism is really a battle of classes. So the right would say that we have this national identity, we're battling other nations, that the interests of the nation should be above the interests of the individual, should band together as a nation and protect ourselves or conquer others. On the left, you'd say it's a battle of classes and the proletariat needs to band together. Right? In both instances, there's one, there's one winner. There's going to be a nation that takes over. There's going to be a class that takes over. But it's not just a left or a right. There's a 3D model where it's both of these ideological extremes of a collective battling against the interests of the individuals it should be god family country and in an ideal scenario and probably 99 percent of the time anyway those three do not conflict with each other for me if if the nation were to start taking a turn and start to violate uh the rights of my family or violate um uh, morality, what I believe to be biblical morality, then I would choose to go against the nation. Where does the individual fit? In those that, I guess that would be in the family. Okay. Yeah, I guess I would go individual then nation. So you are anti-Republican and mm. anti-liberal. Mm -mm. You do not abide to fascism or communism. I would say I, I'm definitely, I fit very much in the middle as well. Yeah. I don't like having to choose in this binary system the way that it's set up i and i think the oxygen mask thing is is a great analogy to life like before you can help anyone else you have to take care of yourself first so if there are other nations let's let's play each side there are other nations that are focused on the collective they have individuals who are sacrificing their well-being to make their nation state strong and we are living in a nation of individuals who are not willing to do that I think it's pretty clear that the nation state that makes the sacrifices will take over the world, dominate ways of life. And that way of life that you ascribe to ceases to exist because of its existence. In the same way, I'll say on the other side of the spectrum, where if you are a member of the proletariat looking to maximize your well-being, it is only a matter of time till the bourgeoisie wins and takes over and you have complete suppression of your societal class. So it's almost like this individualistic desire that you have is what ultimately enslaves you. Okay. Good job. I'm not saying that's what I believe. I'm just, I mean, 
Right. And one doesn't preclude the other. You can, you can be, you can focus on the individual and still focus on the, the well-being of the, the nation as well. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for holding two conflicting ideas in your head at once. It, it takes emotional and, and mental maturity to be able to do something like that. But I think that that's the mature way of seeing the world. Well, that was good. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, this was a heck of a scene. This is a scene from the movie titled The Square. Does anybody remember who directed that movie? Austin something? Austin? Dush? 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 I think it's a Swedish director. Yeah. And what were some of your takeaways, Brad? I think you watched this most recently. Mm -hmm. What are some of your takeaways from this movie? Um, I don't understand the point of the movie. That's my first takeaway. Artsy, artsy movies where the the lesson or the meaning is not um, overt makes me wonder if I'm actually uh, intelligent at all. So you like, what was the like, point? This this scene here where this guy, you know, he's pretending to be a monkey. It's like an art installation, right? It was so uncomfortable and there was no resolution. There was it didn't seem like there was a point to it. They didn't address it again after it just happened. And it was very a commentary on humans in large groups and how we behave and how everybody because this was like a fancy, everyone was caring about what everybody thought. Mm -hmm. And this was an artist who was coming out to do a scene. They allowed him to cross social boundaries that in other situations never would have been allowed to be crossed. And everybody just sat there and watched that guy abuse that woman in front of everybody. Well, until they didn't. He starts out by seeking the alpha male, the group that uh, one artist. And once he establishes dominance over that person, there's much less giggling and laughing. The scene tone begins to shift. And it's always testing the boundaries of if nobody says anything, this is the premise that's laid out before the installation begins. Don't make a scene and you won't be a target. You won't be the, you won't be the one person. Yeah. And it yeah. takes a very, very long, uncomfortable push till anybody does anything. It's right. the point where people, you know, at the moment of a slight confrontation, get up and leave. Some of the last couple of people that leave that scene. Brad, you probably really liked the movie Top Gun, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, I love the U.S. I love... Yeah airplanes and tom cruise so top gun was what Good you music. call a, a modernist film. their shirts off is like your wheelhouse right so top gun is yeah what you call also so that's why i would, when i watched this movie i'm like okay he's got his shirt off so i think i'm supposed to like this but i, don't, I just like don't also jason made us watch this movie with a uh a premarital scene should like, we talk about know. that scene first of all i warn people that that is in here but i think it is additive to the movie it's not graphic. They don't show any or anything. Unfortunately. <laughs> For this show, I took down my, my piece of art that is a right here, and I put up a different piece of art that is a skull. That is a, a commentary on how, our, how we've become so in, intertwined with computers. There's ones and zeros, and the skull is made out of... Oh, I like that. Words. Zach is just flexing that he has at least two pieces of art. <laughs> There's another uh, back there, but we'll keep that out of the screen. This is another art installation in the movie. You want to speak of what this means to you, Zach? This is not my type of art, that's for sure. Um, I like art that I can appreciate. It makes me feel a certain way. I, I don't think that... I, I thought it was pretty funny how the cleaner came in on a Zamboni 
to clean the floor and like vacuumed up a bunch of the rocks. And then the museum curators were like, just go in there and like move some rocks around and like, we're good. And I think my, that's, that's a, to me, that's an indication of art not being that great that you can like remove parts of it and have some random person just come in and it gets right back to where it was. My favorite part was these two guys who just peek their head around the corner look at it for two seconds and then leave. They don't even go and so they didn't even see that it says you have nothing on the wall. So they didn't even experience the installation, but that's how uh, uncaptivating it was to them. Just peek and then leave. Many things are given a meaning by our perception of it. We'll go, we'll get back to the ship of Theseus again later on in this episode, mm. which I know you guys enjoy. Mm. How about the square itself? So the premise with the square is that everyone inside of it has equal rights and obligations. Wow. I said that a few times, right? Great job. Good job, Brad. Yeah. I don't know. Right before this scene, though. So he, this is the scene where he takes his daughters to the museum, right? So it's actually not open. And right before this, you you walk up and there's uh, it says on one on one side of the wall, it says, I trust people. And there's an arrow pointing that way. And then on the other side of the wall, it says, I mistrust people and an arrow pointing that way. And you need to hit one of the buttons and then go in that direction. And so the girls both hit. I trust people and then they go inside and they they see another square a different one than this inside that room and it asks them to leave all their wallets and phones in the square and move on. And what I liked about that is if you say you trust people they're forcing you to prove it right then. Or you don't trust people and you are you've just revealed to yourself that you should have pushed the other button. Cuz there was a social pressure in our society today, I think it's generally people were standing in that line and they're, if it was not, they were not making decision in a vacuum. There were other people watching them. And, and, and there was a counter on the wall. And up to that point, I had three people that said they yes. mistrust. And then by the time these three people clicked it, it was 45 or 46 saying they do. There trust. was a lot, a very high barrier to saying you don't trust people mm-hmm. because of social pressure. Right. Which I think was something that I took away from that was just like how hard it would have been to be in this, in that line and to push the other button. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to know what was on the other side of the wall? If you say you mistrust people. Mm. What do you guys think about the, I think it's not the opening scene, but the second scene. So the opening scene is with the interviewer really calling out what is, I mean, they're pointing at the absurdity of art, uh, really the, promotion of art, the meta modernism of art. And then the second scene is when uh, our main character is walking towards, I believe a bus stop or a subway and he ends up finding someone in distress. Mm-hmm. Actually right before that, he's walking down the street and there's a voice that says, would you like to save a life today? Will you be willing to save a human life today? And they're asking for donations. And right next to them is a homeless person dying, <laughs> laying on the ground. And someone's out saying, would you like to save life today? Then we move on. A lady comes in distress to our protagonist's arms, saying that she's being chased. Our protagonist joins up with another man and stops uh, her person that's, uh, that's following her and attacking her. And they, they get a lot of energy from that. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I just saved somebody. This is awesome. Only to find out that he has been robbed in that mm-hmm. ordeal. What's the question? <laughs> I thought, I thought that was interesting. This, the movie that. definitely makes you think quite a bit about the, the human condition and how we are as a, a, a 
so as mm -hmm. social creatures, how we act. Yeah. I think a good amount of the movie points to the chaos of the individual and how that bleeds out to affect others. So the whole you know premise of the big issue that came up with the square is because our main character here, his life is full of chaos and he's not even paying attention in the ad agency meetings because he's trying to deal with this issue of my, my things were stolen and I, I get them back. But during the actions of getting his belongings back, he causes chaos in somebody else's life. Mm -hmm. And then that individual confronts him about the chaos that's being created and he acts like he doesn't care, but it affects him, it affects him to the point where I think you remember the scene where he's sitting in his apartment. There's someone screaming for help in his stairwell. There's a domestic abuse situation and he knows he should do something about it, but instead he decides to pick up the action of going through the garbage and finding that person's phone number that he had wronged and brought chaos to. Because mm -hmm. he's saying, if I'm not gonna confront injustices and the cries for help that are visibly visible to me right now, I need to do something to calm this bad feeling that I have. So he goes out into the rain, digging through the garbage, finds the phone number, only to find that the phone number is disconnected. Mm -hmm. Even though it's disconnected, he records a video of himself professing his issues and society's issues and why he is just a pawn in all of this and tries to send the video to a number that's disconnected. I uh, enjoyed this scene in 7-Eleven when the lady asked him for some money. She's sitting at that table and he says, I don't have any cash, but I'll get you some food. And she says, chicken ciabatta. And so he's like, all right, I'll get you a chicken ciabatta. Like, no sandwich. onions or something. And she goes, no onions, yeah. Like, dang, girl, come on. He's getting you a sandwich. But then his response, he gets the sandwich, puts it on our table and says, take off the onions yourself. I like that. So, you know, she's got to take some uh, some responsibility. Can't I like handouts. back to what Jason said a minute ago when we started this, and I'm going to butcher it now, but he thought it wasn't going to affect him, but then it did. I think that's a, that's a, a human thing that I've experienced quite a bit and I've tried to be more cognizant of now. I, I have... I have a history of trying to pretend like I'm not human and that things aren't going to affect me. Right. Oftentimes emotional stuff and you bury it. And I think there's one thing I I've learned in, in life now is like, there's no way for that to not affect you. Right. It will come out some way somehow later on. And oftentimes in uncontrollable way, worse ways. Um, that idea that, you can just like mind over matter your human condition, I think is, is something that as I'm getting better at it and, and not like acting like I'm not a human, you start to like be able to deal with things head on instead of trying to bury them. Well, I think there's a healthy balance there. Cause I think there's a large number of people out there that need to be able to just handle it better, bear down, get a little gritty. So you're, you came from the opposite side where I probably err on that side too. It's like, we can deal with anything. We, you know, we'll suppress it. Nothing can affect us. We're just going to keep moving forward. And we probably need to swing more towards the middle, but there's other people where they're so crippled by every little tiny thing. They're left totally um, incapacitated through most of their life. When in reality, they just need to get more tough and be grittier. I think there's a lot of traumas, if you will, that create those types of people. But I guess I would say that some of the traumas that have um, incapacitated people maybe aren't that traumatic. Like they've internalized them as being really traumatic. I mean, if if it changes your behavior, that's pretty traumatic. 
oftentimes it's not, I don't think it's like a universal amount of trauma that we all eat. Like everybody has their own pain points and their own experiences. And if you're vulnerable at a certain point and it's like, I, I don't know that, that we need to judge how extreme the trauma was. Yeah. If it changes behavior, it needs to be dealt with. Could it be dealt with by just being like, you're being dramatic? No. Sometimes it can. That's the whole point is like, it's not mind over matter. Jason. It's not just like, hey, suck it up. That does work short term, but I don't think it works long term. Sometimes like when something happens to one of my kids and they're bawling their eyes out, and, you know, they stub their toe and they're, ah, and I'm just like, come on, it's really not that bad. And then they like settle down and they're like, yeah, it's not that bad. That helped them snap out of that, that trauma. It was debilitating to them because they had hurt their toe so bad. But really, did they hurt their toe that bad or are they just really overreacting? Jason has no thoughts on that. We have a, a hotel called the <laughs> Hilbert Hotel. Have you guys heard about this hotel? I've heard it's grand. I heard there's no vacancy. There's an infinite number of rooms in the Hilbert Hotel. <laughs> Imagine the heating and cooling costs alone. And there are an infinite number of people in this hotel. So every room is full. Somebody walks in and they say, could I stay a night? And they say, you know what? Every room is full. Because you have an infinite number of rooms and an infinite number of guests. Mm -hmm. But what we could do, we could ask everyone to move one room down. Okay. What do you think about that? good solution I don't know. bad solution i mean i don't think it's the greatest it's not very efficient over time it becomes more and more costly to add a, no, a new person well every time you just have everybody move over one yeah but so w first two people move then three people move. Well, if, so just to, so when it starts it's infinitely full it's already infinitely full there's an infinite number of rooms and every room is full infinite number of rooms infinite number of guests New guest shows up, they say, well, we do have an infinite number of rooms, but we also have an infinite number of guests. But what I could do for you is have everybody just move boop, one room over. What is the purpose of this uh, thought experiment? Yeah. I don't understand. What's the point? It's math. Oh, so it's not like a moral thing. It's Why like can't a, the person walk to the end? To the end. Why, Why can't they, they walk to the end? Convenience. Yeah. Else. It's, it's an infinite number of rooms. You can't walk to the end. There is no end. That's what infinity is. Oh, man. I did not take high did enough you, level. Did you see the edges? It's like not defined. It just continues on forever. I don't think mm -hmm. I've spent enough time in high level math classes to talk about this intelligently. All right. This is the easy one. We always talk about it every time. Ship of Thessius. I think Brad has talked about this. Zach has probably heard me talk about this. You have a boat and its pieces are replaced one by one until there are no original pieces. The question is, is this the same ship? And at what point part did it become a new ship? I think it's the original ship unless you're using the pieces from the original ship to rebuild another ship. 
right? So you take a piece off, you set it aside, you replace that piece, but you keep saving all those pieces. And then at the end you reconstruct it. Well, now you have the original boat. But if you're just discarding it, if you're discarding the pieces, it depends that are being on what you do with the old pieces. This, this is a, yeah. is this a commentary on what, what is the ship? Is it the physical things or is it the, the abstract pieces coming together that makes a vessel that floats on the water? Right. If it's the USS Zach Kinney and you just keep replacing the pieces, it's always going to be the USS Zach Kinney, no matter what it's made out of. Right. Yeah. And I guess at that point, if you took all the old pieces and you reconstructed a boat, it wouldn't be named the USS Zach Kinney. You could name it the USS uh, Jason Paris. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So the ship, it's the same ship to me with new parts. Yeah. I don't think it ever becomes another ship because it's more than just the pieces. It's the, the, the concepts of putting those pieces together in a unique sequence or order. But what if, so what if though, instead of you, you start out and you're taking pieces away, not because they need to be replaced, but because you want to rebuild the boat and you're taking them away intentionally to rebuild the boat over here on, on the side, but you're replacing the, the pieces as you go. Does the intent matter? So if the intent is to rebuild the ship somewhere else using the same exact pieces, just one piece at a time. You're telling me that the quote unquote new boat would, would still be the exact same ship. The first one that was built. If you want to talk about it, it was, it was original. It was the first one built. And if you just deconstructed it one piece at a time, it was still the original because the ship is more than just its pieces. All right. Say there's no second ship, it's just the original ship. And you just deconstruct it like a set of Legos. Yep. And then you reconstruct it in the exact same way. Is it the yep. same ship? Yeah. Okay. So then in my in my example, where the intent is to just take the pieces off and rebuild it. But while you're taking it off, you're putting new pieces back up. If well, they're now, identical? The re reconstructed ship is the original ship. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair. Let's so Intent does matter. Let's pretend that we have <laughs> two people that want to run a race. Mm, how long is this race? This race is five miles. Okay. Out of three of us, I win. One person is very fast. Another person is very slow. The slow person gets a head start. Mm. Slow person gets to run two and a half miles until the next person gets to then start. Does the fast person ever overtake the slow person? The fast person is much, much, much faster than the slow person. It's like not even close. Yeah. At some point, he'll pass him. If some point. Depends on, on does the, it though. the difference in speed. Does it? Does it? Let's say you have Achilles, okay, and a tortoise. And this Taurus gets a head start halfway to the end. Now, Achilles no, has this, to run to that halfway point to catch up to the turtle. I think you're, you're explaining this conundrum incorrectly. This looks like Just you cut the distance it. in half each segment. But the reality it's is if we're, running, if we're running five miles and you have a one-mile head start and you run at a 10-minute-per-mile 10, 10 pace and I run at a 7-minute-59 Seven minutes, seven, 59 second per mile pace. I will finish the five miles before you do. 
the hard part about this is in order for the fast person to catch the slow person, they have to catch up to where the slow person was previously. But in that time, the slow person has moved further. Yeah. So now the fast person must, must move to that new point. But in the time that it took him to get to that new point, the slow person has then moved even further away. So now the fast person must catch up to that point. But in that time, the slow person has moved even further away. The question is, is does this speedy runner ever actually overtake the slower runner? Yes, I explained it. I don't see how they do. Okay. Every so time they get closer. So you're running? No. Every time they catch up to the slow person's previous point, the slow person has yet again moved further away. You're, you're like ignoring time in this. I'm not ignoring time. Yes. All right. So time Jason, that it takes you run. You're going to run your runner to go this distance to catch up where the turtle was. Why, why are you the way you are? Stop it. Get some help. The turtle has once again moved even further. This is anchored in time. All right, Jason, let's, I'm going to be very generous and let's say that you are running a 10 minute per mile pace and you got to run four miles. How, how many minutes does that take? 40 minutes. So from start to finish, it's going to take you 40 minutes. Let's say I'm going to run at a seven and a seven thirty pace time for five miles, 37 and a half minutes. I will have reached the finish line and you would still but at be what point do you overtake me? Cause every time oh. you get to my previous starting point, I've always moved a little further. Okay. I'm just trying to ask you to prove to me how this, I, no, we just need a very simple diagram of two vectors with two speeds and there's a math equation that'll tell you yeah, exactly where you pass. Math equation that this good. is a math. This is a math equation, and the math points to never being overtaken. It's, this also yeah, seems to point to them continually moving slower, more slowly, and more slowly. It's a point they're not no, even moving. The, the 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 rate of movement has not changed at all. So essentially, they will be uh, an atom behind. Achilles being Adam behind and then Achilles the, will need to move an Adam when the time that it takes him to move an Adam, the turtle will have moved a fraction half. of an Adam. Yeah. Wow. And then in the time that it takes Achilles to move a fraction of an Adam to catch up to that new spot, mm-hmm. the turtle will have moved a fraction of a fraction of an Adam. Interesting. So, and at that point the universe collapses and you're right. He would never catch up. Yeah. I, again, I did not take enough, um, incredibly high level math to be able to go far. Are you familiar with Cepheus? This is not Theseus. This is Cepheus. The guy who pushed the boulder up the mountain. Pushing the boulder up the mountain. Tried to cheat death twice, given a consequence. But is it really that bad to be pushing a boulder up and down for eternity? A um, couple things on this. Did you hear that the guy, the, the, the blue and black dress guy actually got arrested for murder? Okay. First of all, this guy, what did I tell you is now accused of murdering his wife. Yeah. So that is terrible, Brad. I don't know why so, you, bring so that to this. you brought it up. You said the, the in the meme, it says, why the would you bring guy? that to this show? This show is about, this is a family show and you're going to talk about murder. I think it's relevant. What's wrong with you, Brad? We talked about throwing out babies. What is all this junk? What is this? 
New York Post Legacy Media. Who goes to the news? It's terrible. But this this is I think the real the point here is if you are going to be a criminal and break the law, don't become famous. Right. Yeah. So why do you think Cepheus is talking about the dress in this in this image here? He's why do you think there's a person sitting on the ground looking up at them, really looking at their words, wearing a mask? Mm-hmm. What do you think the artist is trying to express here? Um, kind of the absurdity of where we put our uh, our mental energies. Why do you put? Why do you think we're putting our mental energies there? To distract ourselves from the the real things we should be focusing on, the real difficult. Why do you think he's life. so enthralled? Why is he saying that the boulder is not that bad? He's become used to it. It's pretty chill. Or he's trying to convince people he's become used to it. I think that humans have a great capacity to endure pain, very much like the 1%, the one degree, one degree, one degree. Um, Because our biology is wired to keep us alive, not for thriving. So as long as we're alive, our biology in some ways rewards behavior that keeps us alive even if it goes flies in the face of thriving. You could say that there's nothing more important than reaffirming our consciousness and suffering is the truest form of that. I mean, it's clear that this guy has some trauma that he needs to address. Can't just keep getting, being gritty. Got to address right. the trauma. The boulder's not going to go anywhere unless you... Cepheus is rolling a boulder towards the Grand Hilbert Hotel. The hotel has an infinite number of rooms, but they are all full. So they may not be able to accommodate him, which is Cepheus, or his boulder. This graphic has an infinite number of pixels. If you choose to divert him, his boulder will destroy the ship of Theseus. Mm. But the ship has had all of its constituent parts replaced. So it may not actually be the same ship. Is (laughs) Cepheus happy? (laughs) I, I would need to know more about Sisyphus and what makes him tick. What does Sisyphus, yeah, what does Sisyphus need to be happy? And what does he consider happy? Are joy and happiness the same thing? Be joyful and not happy. I, we just, we're going to have to talk to Sisyphus. Hmm. Ooh, yes, I like this. He had something to keep him busy, so he was happy. Wow. Struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. We, I think our humanness does thrive through struggle. And it's very important to choose the struggles carefully because they will satisfy us. So maybe don't pick a boulder up a mountain. Does it matter if the struggle is uh, never ending or finite? Like, do we find do we find joy in a never-ending struggle, happiness in a never-ending struggle? So you're never going to see real any real relief. You're just finding happiness from from toiling through the struggle. Or do we find happiness and or joy in a struggle that is finite and there's some sort of victory at the end? Either one. I think you don't. I don't think one is better than another necessarily. I think the struggle is chasing something is how we were wired. Right. We, our humanness is is gratified through 
pursuing of something. And there, there does need to be some small wins along the way. So whether or not you can ever achieve it, I don't think is as big of a differentiating factor as is it a struggle and is, are, are there some small wins you can get along the way? Because when you finally do get there, if, if you love the struggle, getting there is incredibly unsatisfying. Uh, it's what unsatisfying are- if you just sit and rest in it rather than create, you know, pursuing another end goal or struggle. Yes, you need a new one. What human qualities are worth enhancing and what human qualities are worth dehancing? Between these three? In general, this is just a random graphic. Oh. Empathy needs to be enhanced. Integrity needs to be enhanced. What about greed? Um, I think it's it's just fine where it is. I think selfishness needs to be dehanced. Is that a word? Reduced. Yeah. Maybe. So, Brad, in your ideal world, there are individuals who are greedy. You would like to have them exterminated from the the world. Um, I'm not in favor of exterminating anyone necessarily. Uh, really going on a limb there. But greed, I think greed is different than selfishness. I think selfishness is the issue. Greed is not. So if desire- people are selfish, you would like to have them removed from society. No, I just think that uh, that if we're talking about character traits that need to be de-emphasized or reduced, selfishness. So their character traits should be de-emphasized, shunned, shamed, squashed, yeah. shamed. Yeah. Even I, if that is the core like, of who they are, who they are is not valuable to you because it doesn't fit into your idealistic worldview. Is that who they are? Are people unredeemable? If someone has negative qualities, they can't be redeemed or change selfishness is just who they are. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I, I think, think we're true. all selfish and selfishness is good. If you build systems that harness the selfishness for the good of others, like capitalism, which is a beautiful system that, well, I think selfish this selfishness for the greater good. So again, I think that we need, we need to delineate between selfishness and greed. I think, Greed in the in terms of capitalism is good. The the pursuit for more, the pursuit for better. Selfishness to me has a negative connotation where like I want something and I just want it for me and no one and I don't want anyone else to have it. Right? What? Selfishness is putting self first, right? I don't in, know. And in, in certain and in many, if if a system, I think if a system is constructed properly to harness our own humanness, which we're, I think we're all inherently selfish. So build systems to harness selfishness, which I think capitalism. I don't think so. So the definition of selfish is this lacking consideration for others concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. That's not positive. Lacking consideration for others should never be emphasized, especially from someone who just said that the first thing you said that needs to be emphasized is empathy that flies in the face of selfishness. Lacking consideration for others concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. So you are a communist. Is that what you're saying, Brad? No. Nope. I think there's a lot of Would you prefer that we live in a fascist regime or a communist regime and nope. forsake the, the desires of the individual? No, I think that it's healthy, like Zach was alluding to. It's healthy for us to pursue um, progress, um, betterment of the self, uh, wealth and prosperity for the self, but not at the cost of totally disregarding others. I think it's 
like for for me personally and i know for you guys too because i know you the better you do the better you want the other people around you to do and the more we have the more we can help other people so if you have others that are fundamentally opposed to your value set you want them to thrive even if it means that they are going to overtake and destroy your way of being your way of life <laughs> you, you, you just say such dramatic and drastic things this is the way the world works brad i'm sorry to tell you this i don't think it is how it works i think there's a there's a constant balance it's how history works but i think we're showing more and more it's become clear that the world is not a zero-sum equation mm -hmm. and that there is a variable that is like the creation of new ideas and more efficient ways of, of, of being and creating things. And when someone does well, I don't, in most situations in the world, you, it doesn't mean someone else has to do bad. I don't think it's, we live in a zero-sum world generally. So you would like the bourgeoisie to run unencumbered and their march towards resource control. I would like everyone to have the opportunity to be part of the bourgeoisie. What I do want, you think the bourgeoisie is? It's the, the highest functioning group of humans. The bourgeoisie is the ones that own the means of production. The, the people in power. But if they, it, they, they, they receive their income and their resources through the ownership of the means of production, as opposed to the proletariat who receives resources from their effort and their work. Are the three of us members of the bourgeoisie? Brad is definitely not. <laughs> this is the question though, right? We talk about, ah, it's a world full of roses and fun and zero sum gains. And you know, if it is this infinite growth mindset, is there any issue? with the bourgeoisie continuing, continuing to consolidate power, have larger and larger inequality gains because all the boats are rising. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. As long as it's, it's a meritocracy to be part of the bourgeoisie. But at some point, will the bourgeoisie become so powerful that they doesn't matter what the proletariat want or need? I think it's part of a great, it's a, it's a, system where each people each group needs the other and there needs to be a homeostasis of some sort so you're saying that capitalism is the only structure that society can function with it's the best one we have yet if you can come up with a better idea i would love to hear it it's not do you think that capitalism is better than socialism i do brad yeah 100 percent. obviously okay how about how about communism Again, yeah. I think communism ignores human nature and, and what it is to be human. I think that we should act as communists within small communities. We've talked about that before, Jason. I think we have a responsibility within our, our, our uh, social circles, um, our smaller communities, our church communities, to operate with some level of communism where we share. Is job uh, casting actually important or is it just a bunch of wah, 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 wah? Hmm. Zach, back me up here. Job costing <laughs> is not is what it has. It's very useful for many people. Depends. But, are you paying your people hourly? 
You're paying it's your people's salary. Are you using subcontractors? And so the job costing is super easy because you know they're just getting a percentage of the labor cost. If if you're using subcontractors, then job costing is basically built in. I know that you know my labor is going to be 42% of of the project and my paint costs are going to be 12 to 13% and the rest is gross profit. So I, I, I don't think it's a black and white issue. Unfortunately there, I think again, like so many things in life, there's gray areas here. It's, imp it's definitely a valuable and important tool. Um, but it's, I don't think it's absolutely necessary to run a successful business. There are thought experiments that could be done around not having job costing and still finding success. Can't we just drive top line growth and have fun? What about going to Miami, Zach? This is what we talked about. Exactly. Who cares about job costing? Let's just techno music. All right. Did either of you happen to watch Playtime? We're not talking about another movie. Vito. Oh. I have a question. I have a question. Why why is production or value painting better for the world than like ultra high level fine finish painting easy answer zach why is it better mm -hmm. why in other words let me rephrase it why why is what why is what jason and i do better for the world than what you do <laughs> it affects a larger number of people positively so you're utilitarian you believe that whatever produces the most volume of well-being is what the better choice is. I, I was not going to challenge his assumptions in the question. And so if we're assuming that it's better, yeah. I'm going to answer that way. It's interesting that you'd be utilitarian. So now I want you to think about the cookie monster. Okay. The cookie monster gains an extremely high utility, as you like to put it, from eating cookies. Much, much, much more so than you or I receive utility, as you put it, from raising a family, from working out, from consuming any type of food. Does that mean that all of our resources, resources should go to feeding this cookie monster so that the total aggregate of utility, as you like to put it, is maximized? Uh, cookie monsters are not as important as humans so i see them as a lesser species so in this case i would say no okay i will say zach is doing more to uh bridge the wealth gap and, and transfer wealth from the upper class down to the proletariat than the rest of us are doing oh yeah motherfucking robin hood over you here. want me to paint one door sure that'll be twenty-seven thousand dollars. just like take that wealth from the upper class and give it to the lower class the real question is, what is the purpose of human productivity for? And this is what we talked about, Brad, in our last podcast of money is meaningless to an extent. It's fiat currency. Mm -hmm. It's really incentivizing people of how do they use their intellectual capacity and their physical capacity. And are those means being put to benefit the few or to lift up the benefit and the life experience of the many? Is it what? What is the moral implications of a hundred people slaving away to build one super yacht, as Brad likes to put it, versus a hundred people building a farm that feeds a billion people in South America? Mm -hmm. Right. Which which use of human productivity is better for our experience? 
I don't think that's a fair comparison. Like, hey, this world is not binary, Jason. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a there's a place, the place where those hundred people make that boat is not a place you could have a farm with a hundred people working to create a billion. Dollars. And we have and a the- limited amount of human output available to us on this earth. And to what ends are we establishing those means to? Is it going to benefit the few who want to live in their level five finish homes? Or is it going to benefit the many who are just middle-class Americans trying to see a rise in their equity? I think it's both. The the money that's being used. and There is not. I, that- just, I told you, you're not listening to me, Brad. There's not a limited. Sorry. I didn't mean to get there's, so at you. There's plenty of production capacity to feed the people around the world. It's probably. Do you a- think that there's enough capacity to serve both the proletariat and the bourgeoisie ad infinitum? Yes. Are you blind to the suffering that is happening in this world? Nope. Are you so numb to the starving, to the. You're talking about. Quality? You're talking about production capacity. But Not also, the in, in implementation of that production capacity, the capacity is there. Things are trending upwards in in a way that I would say just because there's pain and suffering doesn't mean that, that things are inflation working. is running amok. <laughs> Wages are not rising. But there was never the a cost better of day medical, in the world medical care, the cost pain. of education. The working class is not rising. They are deep. De-rising, as you would call it. But there was never a better day in the history of the world to be born than today. Yet, there has never been a higher incidence of mental illness, depression, suicide. Those are individual things. But if we're looking at the 8 billion people on the planet today, and would you rather be born today or 10 years ago or 20 or 30 or 50 or 100? We are trending In your mind, you say... Who cares about inequality? Let the gap widen yet further because at least we're not hunting in caves anymore. Hey, that's not what I said. <laughs> Again, there, I think there is a middle ground. It's not, and, and they're not mutually exclusive as, as we create and, and build more opportunity and some people get rich doesn't mean that other people are hurting. You don't think people are hurting right now? I didn't say that people aren't hurting. I said that it's not causing it. It's not because of. People aren't hurting because Zach charges $124,000 to paint one door. But the productivity (laughs) of the human labor and creativity is going to means that are not benefiting the many. They're going to means that benefit the few. How is that not benefiting the many? The hundred families that are being fed because the one billionaire is those hundred families would be fed irregardless of what they put their energy and effort to. The outcome of their energy and effort is going to benefit the few, not the many. Did you say irregardless, ironically, or did you use that as a word? It is a word now in in the dictionary. Oh my gosh, so many people didn't know how to speak proper English and they changed it. it We just that's what words are. Words are to communicate ideas. And so if now, you, if I were to argue on, on Zach's bourgeoisie side, I would say, what is the purpose of life if not to express yourself as a human? 
and what is the highest form of form of expression but art and so maybe everybody should suffer so that the few can express themselves with their true self with their true purpose through art if i i would still say that suffering is less suffering happens each day as humans progress do you think there are more slaves today or fewer slaves today than 200 years ago there's more but is that one question i have on that is that a is that a higher percentage of the overall so population? is the percentage what matters or is it the well, that, human that would that would indicate whether it's actually trending up or down again so we don't care about the volume of suffering we just care about the percentage no you, but if you make statements like are there more slaves now than ever before the question is like the answer could be yes to that question and you could care less about the volume of human suffering no. as long as the percentage goes down <laughs> i could care less because i care did you mean to say you couldn't care less <laughs> i'm sorry did they change the meaning of that too uh could, could we make an argument that someone spending a billion dollars on a yacht is actually just a form of a redistribution of wealth we've talked about this yeah. It's not the fact that wealth is being distributed because, would you say buying a yacht? Thing that is being created. Yeah. He's spending a billion dollars on a yacht. Effort and ingenuity going towards creating. Is it something that's going to creating? Because they would get paid either way. Yeah. Whether, they built some, whether, whether they built roads or a yacht, they're getting paid for their labor and for their ingenuity. But in order to build the roads, collectively, we all need to pay for it. To build that one yacht, just one really rich person's paying for it. This, I think the system is, is set up so beautifully, though, because doing, cre using that creative energy to serve a larger number of people will bring you more wealth than a small number of people. This is what this that is actually a really good argument, Zach, for uh, like what Apple or even many, many companies do. They could build an ultra high end AI tool and sell it to the you know, 100 richest people in the world or they could maximize their efficiencies and sell it to as many people as possible. It, it's the beauty of capitalism. And it's the selfish nature so good. in some ways saves us all. Yeah. Right? You harnessing, capitalism harnesses human nature in a beautiful way. It encourages our most destructive habits until a point where we absolutely collapse under our selfishness. Well, until the incentive structure changes, right? And, and then behavior moves to another, like when the world gets so hot that sh people are really pissed, there'll be a huge economic incentive to solve climate change and we will move. Just and live right now, the economic incentive to solve it is not as great as it will be. If you're hungry, eat cake. That's what I always say. I love let's, cake. let's operate for a moment under the assumption that climate change is real is the greatest hard thing to do. We can't talk about this because then Spotify actually let oh, us, yeah. I, I tried this. I said operate on the assumption that it's real. I didn't say that it wasn't. And we're going to get a YouTube. We're going to operate on the assumption that it's real for the purposes of this question is the, is the greatest solution to climate change, a reduction in the consumption of fossil fuels and anything else that hypothetically leads to increased climate change or is the best is the greatest solution simply human innovation 
it's obviously human innovation is the answer to to so many things because human innovation does both. It reduces the consumption while also finding other ways around things. Mm-hmm. This is why when I park in my driveway at night, I leave, my, I leave innovation- my I leave my Jeep running all night just out in the driveway, just burning up those fuels because human innovation will fix it anyway. But that goes against your best interest that you're being very irrational to do that. I'm trying to prove a point that I could pollute the world as much as I want and humans will fix it anyway. Zach and Brad, what do your (laughs) workout routines look like these days? I I work out probably five, six days a week. And I know Um, Jay, you're every day. I started, I think I'm a good example because I started in very poor shape. Right. I think sometimes like when you look at Cindy Crawford, and you're like, oh, what did Cindy Crawford do to have nice skin at 50? Like, you can't really learn a lot from what Cindy Crawford did. She was the most beautiful human in the world. So when her skin looks good at 50, the skincare routine she used isn't that valuable. Same with, like, a professional athlete who looks great later in life. His re- workout routine, do we really going to learn that much from it? But me, I had this little little uh, fat. I was, I was chubby. I was out of shape. I was, it was not looking good. I had not worked out all through COVID. And uh, so what I did is I, I'm not the grittiest human being in the world. I don't, that's not one of my strong suits, but I'm pretty good at, at facilitating outcomes. So I hired a trainer three days a week. Hmm. I would go, uh, I would probably put 75% effort, 70, 75% effort in. I, I rarely break a sweat at the gym. Um, and I, it's not painful. There's very little pain and discomfort and it keeps me coming back. Believe that if I consistently do this for the rest of my life, I will be in amazing shape. So I go to the gym for about 20, 25 minutes. I've watched my body transform. So a lot of things you're talking about mirror my experience as well, but also a lot of it is the exact opposite. So I, every workout that I do, so I, I work out every day. Very cool way to go. Every day so far this year. I'm a special kind of white guy. Every time I go to the gym, it's the hardest workout I've ever done in my whole life. So I push myself to the ultimate, like right to the limit. And it is pain and you collapse at the end and you're breathing heavy and it takes you a little while to recover. And then the endorphins kick in and I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, I'm going to keep coming. So it gets me back to the gym every single day. Right now I'm on about a four and a half, five year stretch of high intense, um, at least five, six days a week and really killing it. Should we have to pay for basic needs such as food, water, and shelter? Zach? Uh, At a macro level, no. Because someone has to provide that stuff. And if you're going to get it for free, you're forcing other people to provide it for free as well. If you don't have the capacities, not everyone is created equal. And some people aren't born with the capacities to create their, to, to, create and afford their own. And we are such a successful species and such a wealthy nation and, and species generally that I don't think it's a, a crazy thing to think that we would help out the people who don't have it as good as we do. I agree with you, but you understand the premise of my comment. If you're, if you're, if someone's not going to pay for it, that means it needs to be provided for free and no one's labor is free. Someone has to put out the labor to produce the food and the water and the shelter. And if, if, if they're expecting to do that for free, that's slavery. 
we all get a lot out of producing, chasing, doing things like, so the, so the reward for providing free things for other people is that you get to work. It's, and what I'm saying and it's not inherently slavery. It's also very, it's in the self-interest of people. If you are paying a, a dollar of taxes, it's because you took a certain amount of money home yourself. So it's not pure slavery. We live in a place today where it's, it's not crazy to say that just because you can't create it yourself, we're not going to help you. No one's expecting that we would create the food for ourselves, but we are expecting that we should pay for the food, right? But you're saying it should be free. For certain people, yeah. Should we have to pay for basic needs? The three of us? Yeah. Of course. We are high-functioning individuals. Is that a picture of you, Jason? Well, this has been a life-giving conversation. <laughs> I think we've all rallied around each other and have become closer friends because of it. And uh... Jason, did you want to share your workout regimen? Is that an Iron Man shirt that I see you wearing? Did you is that your shirt or did you like get it from Salvation Army? It's laundry day today, so it's a lot. It's just the last one I could grab when I left. It's weird. Is every every day that you film one of these is it laundry day? Because it seems like you always have like a hundred mile run race or an Iron Man shirt. Laundry day is once a week. Yeah. So. Pure coincidence. That's crazy. It's very embarrassing when it happens. Yeah. yeah. It's very embarrassing. Well, we have a few minutes left. What what? Would you guys like to talk about that is not me badgering and, and trying to corner everybody into their beliefs? And I have, a, I have a question for Zach. Zach, how important is it to for men to dress in a fashionable sense as opposed to like just wearing graphic tees with memes on it all the time? I think the, clothes, value on that? I think the clothes make the man. That's a, that's a saying that goes a long way. I think that if you feel amazing in what you're wearing, rock it, man. That's that's the name of the game. But okay. I, yeah, until you've put on a pair of Todd's loafers, I don't think you've lived. Oof! I don't even know what those are, but they sound expensive because you they came out of your mouth. I spent a lot of money on beautiful craftsmanship. <laughs> what fashion are they? I definitely want to dress like the top guy. I want to I want to look like that. <laughs> there. If you feel great, that's what matters. And I'll, let's see, <laughs> dressed accordionly. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's, that is Jason. So Jason will never have a tattoo because the Bible says he can't. <laughs> I actually might buy this shirt. Well, that's all the time we have for today's episode. I want to thank Bradley Ellison, repeat guest, and ZK, longtime sought-after guest. Thank you for sitting in on this thing and until next time i just make sure. do we wait do we get a moment for parting words or not yes brad would you like to have a parting word yeah i just want to like just remind everyone when life gets you down things can get pretty tough just um you know take care of it two gallons at a time and i would just like to say be the change that you wish to see and i would just like to say that the journey is the destination until next time, this is Paintbrush in a Dream Productions, Irreverent Business Talk. If you made it this far, you are a goddamn saint. <laughs> no one listens to these things. Nope. I watch my, the analytics. My wife, <laughs> my wife will watch it. It's like you check the analytics. One person in Oakland Township, Michigan, watched it all the way through, and that's my wife. Yeah.
Yep. All right. Well, that was fun, guys. The only reason I would not buy this shirt is that that uh, <laughs> office the office shirt that I got, Brad, I wore it like twice and the whole thing just disintegrated. Oh, yeah. Not high quality. So I was like, oh, Crispin Greens doesn't open until 1030. I got to stop in there and I got to get my salad. And I like to go through the line because then they mix it up. If I take it to go, they don't mix it up. And then I get to the office and I try and mix it up and it's hard to do. One of the ways to earn success is to have the temperament to be able to make the painful expenses. I got that down. All right. I really got to go. See you later, boys. Love you guys. Love you too. Was this good? Did you guys like this? (laughs) I actually really liked this. I did too. The dynamic was really good. You guys are really funny. I can say whatever I want. And I know you guys aren't going to. That's fine. Well, let's record a few more. Yeah. Okay. All right. See you guys. All right.